All right, if you could find your seats and we'll come back together and look into God's Word together. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Joshua Jager. I'm the worship director here, and today um, actually acting in a role as, as elder. I'm one of the elders here. Um, and as our pastors are out of town, um, I will be doing my best to uh, walk us through Psalm 130. But before we do that, let me open us in prayer um, as we dive into his word. Dear Lord, I, uh, I ask that you would open our hearts this morning. Lord, that you would speak through me, that I would be a vessel of, of the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, it is a work that you are speaking through your word. Um, Lord, I ask that, that we would be um, just ignited, that a, a fire would be lit in us uh, for the confidence in you, Lord, the confidence that you are faithful, you provided um, for us to be redeemed um, to you, that you have pulled us out of the depths. Lord, I thank you for your mercies. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning we'll be looking at Psalm 130. I apologize. I, the, the notes that are in your bulletin, um, I'm a bit new to the process of sending it into the office. So some of you have blanks on the first page and some of you have blanks on the second page and vice versa. But that's okay. It, it happens. Um, this, uh, this psalm is, as some of the others we've looked at through the summer, is one of the song of ascents. So this is one of the songs that traditionally would have been sung by uh, the pilgrims going to Jerusalem to, uh, for the different feasts, different festivals um, in the Jewish culture. As they would head up to Jerusalem, they'd be singing these psalms to God and to one another to encourage one another. This is one of those psalms. It is eight verses long. It is a beautiful poem. It's a beautiful just uh, cadence as it's broken up into two verses apiece. Um, Let me read through the psalm for us before we begin here. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O hear my voice. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. As we unpack this this morning, I want to give us kind of a background. This, this psalm uh, does not have a known author. Um, traditionally, this is not one that is listed in, in the text. Sometimes you'll have a song of David or a song of Solomon. This is not um, listed as the author, but um, as... Uh, I've already lost my place in the notes, but I'll get there. It's okay. As I said, this is one of the songs that they would sing um, on the pilgrimage. Also, uh, the Catholic tradition has this as a psalm and one of the penitential psalms, 
So as we saw in the beginning, crying out from the depths, this acknowledgement of our sin, this acknowledgement of the, the depth and the chasm, the separation we are from, from God, this would be something that you would come and as you give penitence, you, would be, you could recite this psalm um, as it goes and pleads for His mercy that forgiveness is only through the Lord. The psalm is a favorite of, of many as I studied and read different commentaries, um, discovering that this is a favorite psalm of many church leaders um, in the past. Um, and it was fun to, to kind of see how John uh, Wesley uh, loved this anthem. And so John Wesley attended a Vesper service at St. Paul's Cathedral, and in the course of which Psalm 130 was sung as an anthem. He was greatly moved by the anthem and became one of, his, one of the means God used to open his heart to the gospel of salvation. Martin Luther loved Psalm 130, referring to this and three other psalms he quoted. He's quoted as saying, They teach us that the forgiveness of sin is granted without the law and without works. I love in this psalm, it talks about just that it comes from God alone. We put our hope in the Lord and in Him alone that He is sufficient. Martin Luther wrote a, a paraphrase of this psalm in a hymn. I'll just read through the stanzas. It's, it's five stanzas, but I'll just read the poetry, read the language that Martin Luther put it in. From depths of woe I raise to thee the voice of lamentation. Lord, turn a gracious ear to me and hear my supplication. If thou iniquities dost mark our secret sins and misdeeds dark, O who shall stand before thee? To wash away the crimson stain, grace, grace alone availeth. Our works, alas, are all in vain. In much the best life faileth. No man can glory in thy sight. All must alike confess thy might and live alone by mercy. Therefore my trust is in the Lord and not in mine own merit. On him my soul shall rest. His word upholds my fainting spirit. His promised mercy is my fort, my comfort, and my sweet support. I wait for it with patience. What though I wait the live long night until the dawn appeareth, my heart still trusteth in his might. It doubteth not, nor feareth. Do thus, O ye of Israel's seed, ye of the Spirit born indeed, and wait till God appeareth. Though great our sins and sore our woes, his grace much more aboundeth, his helping love no limit knows, our utmost need it soundeth. Our shepherd good and true is he, who will at last his Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. This psalm is as so poetically written by Martin Luther there just has this upward approach just like the song of senses you'd be going uphill to Jerusalem where you're coming from the depths to that final redemption and being brought out, being out of our sin and sorrow as he concludes there. Well, let us focus in in the first two verses. So, Look at verse the verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. One of the things I want us to look at. So in your text, I know uh, Pastor uh, Andrew has say, stated this before. Pastor Ron has stated this. When Lord is written as L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your text, that is saying uh, Yahweh. You'll notice in the second line, there's also the word Lord. But it is lowercase O-R-D. He's using the name Adonai. Throughout this psalm, 
the psalmist goes back and forth, pleading to both different characters, like just names of God, as he is uh, appealing to the different characteristics of God. As he starts out, out of the depths I cry to you, Yahweh, Adonai, hear my voice. So you'll see that in all the verses as it goes back and forth until verses 7 and 8. He just says Yahweh um, there at the end. What comes to mind when we hear the phrase out of the depths? He didn't think I was going to ask you guys questions. (laughs) Despair. Darkness. Say that again. The pit. No hope. Tra- traditionally, throughout the Old Testament, the depths had a an, an image of water a lot of times. And in that culture, this depths of being drowning, being separated, being buried. So that pit, that darkness, those are, those are good characteristics of what's being discussed here. This depths, I cry to you. He's at the lowest point. Out of that depths, I cry to you. It is a, it is a depth that he can't get out of himself. That no self-help, no self-act, nothing that he can do can remove him from the depths. This is a depth, as one of the commentators put it, people experience depths of poverty, sorrow, confusion, and pain. Yet the depth that the psalmist cried from here was the depth of awareness and guilt of sin. This awareness that it was out of his control. This awareness that he was buried below. In your worship thought, I, I mentioned the... The story of Jonah, as Jonah is in the fish, crying out to God in despair. I mean, he is at his lowest point, crying out to God. Um, I call. This is Jonah two two. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and You heard my voice. Similar imagery here as we hear the psalmist crying out, Oh Lord, hear my voice. He's pleading with him. And Jonah is saying, I cried out to you and you heard. There's a confidence that he will hear as, he's, as the psalmist is crying out. But he continues to plead in verse 2, Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Again, this entire first part is identifying, acknowledging our separation, the chasm that we are from God. Um, The depths, some of the other things talking about the waters, I won't read them all right now, but Psalm 124, 4 through 5 talks about us being, you know, in the flood. Psalm 69, 1 through 3, save me, O God, for the waters have come to my neck. That imagery is, again, this burying Look at the intensity of these first two verses. It's not a casual or flippant request. It's not something that the psalmist is, when you get around to it, God, you know, can you hear me? He is crying out, hear my voice, please for mercy. These are strong terms. These are something that, again, the reliance is all on God. The psalmist uses the name of God eight times in these eight verses. So as I mentioned, he's going between Yahweh and Adonai. He mentions the, the, the name of God eight times in only these eight verses as he is pleading and putting that focus on God. 
This is why the psalm is included in one of the penitential psalms. It acknowledges our sin that we can only be removed from the depths by his mercy. That's the only way out. Have you ever read something like uh, the previous verses and thought, okay, well, my life isn't so bad. How often do we compare ourselves to someone else? Well, I didn't do that sin. I, I didn't do what that guy did, what my neighbor did. When did we become so willing to view some sins as worse than others? May we recognize that huge uh, chasm between us and God and cry out fervently to God. Luke, turn with me to Luke 18, 9 through 14. Jesus is giving the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee here. Speaking of viewing sins as differently, the psalmist does not identify the sin that he is in that puts him in the depths. It's the fact that he is in sin that is creating that chasm and putting him in the depths. This uh, parable that Jesus says in Luke 18, 9 through 14, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, as Jesus says, stands, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to the heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted as i was looking through and reading through this i felt that that was such a great image of what the psalmist is doing here he's not comparing he's not letting them know if you sin this way this is how you must cry out to the lord sin no matter what sin has separated us from god the only way to be redeemed, the only way to be brought out of that chasm, out of that depth, is through His mercy. And that is what the psalmist is, is crying out here. It's what Jesus talked about in that parable. The man who humbled himself, who wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but crying out for mercy from God, identifying and knowing and acknowledging his sin. Let's move on to verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, again, Yahweh, should mark iniquities, Adonai, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. What is the first thing that sticks out to you in verse 3 there? Who can stand before the Lord? It's not a trick question. He calls, this is not a question the psalmist is actually asking. This is a rhetorical question. And and very strongly in the Hebrew, very strongly in in the text here, the answer is emphatically and implicitly no one. No one can stand before God. If God were to enact his righteous justice, we would all be unable to stand before the Lord. The psalmist is not calling out other specific groups. Rather, he includes himself in this rhetorical question. He's not saying all you 
If God would look at your iniquities, he's going to judge you. He's saying, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? All of us are sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All need his mercy. And that's the encouragement in verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness. This isn't a guessing whether there's forgiveness. He's proclaiming. With you, Lord, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Quoting a commentator. uh, So this is quoting a commentator quoting Spurgeon. I couldn't find the original point where Spurgeon uh, stated it. But when, so Spurgeon says, when Luther was in great trouble of soul, he was comforted by one who said to him, dost thou not believe thy creed? Yes, replied Luther. I believe the creed. Well, then rejoined the other. One article in it is, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Luther's heart was lightened at once by the remembrance of the words in this psalm. There is forgiveness. It may be that you have sinned many times and grievously, but, quote, there is forgiveness. Though a child of God, you have gone astray from him, but there is forgiveness. You have backslidden sadly and horribly, but there is forgiveness. The devil comes and howls at you and tells you that your doom is sealed and your damnation is sure, but there is forgiveness. What words of hope there is in this text here. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. It is our unspeakable comfort in all our approaches to God that there is forgiveness with Him for that is what we need. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I've not studied nearly as much as some of the other pastors, so forgive me in that, but I did look up the, the Hebrew word that is translated forgiveness in this passage. Um, it, according to my research, it's only used two other places in Scripture, specifically talking about a forgiveness from God. This is not the same Hebrew word used when we are to forgive one another. This is specifically a pardon. This is a forgiveness that is from our Lord, our Savior. There's a, there's a power to the word that is lost in the English translation where it's used you know, we see forgiveness in multiple places, but here in the Hebrew, this is specifically talking about a forgiveness from a holy and just God. All three times that Hebrew word, it's always referring to God forgiving us. Um, like, I, like I mentioned, it can be translated as pardon. Our response to this forgiveness should not be lighthearted. Like I mentioned just a moment ago, like how often do we compare ourselves compare our sins, compare things that we've done and say, well, I'm not as bad as the next guy. Our response to this forgiveness should be to fear the Lord. Another way to put that is to give God reverence. He is holy. He is just to forgive. If he chose to mark our iniquities, we could not stand. We saw that already. When we receive this forgiveness from him, that should not be a trigger to us to say, oh, well, I know that I'm going to be forgiven. And again, I love Paul's words, shall we sin that grace may abound? May it never be. May we never continue to say, well, that's my get out of jail free card. This is my way that God I know is going to forgive me so I can do whatever I want. No, we approach this because we fear the Lord. 
we tremble because he has the power to pull us out of that depths. This is not a fear that we are... um, It's tough to explain in any other way than a reverence, a, a coming to your your father, knowing that you've done something wrong. We tremble before the Lord. When we've sinned and we've been blemished by that sin, we come and seek him. Uh, but that is not something that we come joyfully because we know we've created that separation. But we can have hope that he will forgive, that he has provided a way to redeem us. I think I'm doing okay on time. Sin is a big deal. God's forgiveness of that sin is merciful and deserves fear. Moving on to verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, as we sang this morning. And in His word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Again, you see Yahweh, Adonai, throughout here. Although we have assurance of forgiveness in the Lord, and that by faith in Jesus Christ we are redeemed, the psalmist reminds us that until such a day that we are reunited with the Father, we wait. He does forgive us, but we are still here, still sinners. We need to continually go back to Him for his mercy, for his redemption. What a, uh, what a blessing and a hope that we have that I, I find I was mentioning to the worship team. The Old Testament here where the psalmist is writing this was before Christ's time. We have the benefit of seeing the instantiation of what God's plan was in giving his son to us, in providing Jesus Christ to wash us clean from our sins. But that didn't give the psalmist, any more doubt. He understood and knew the character of God and knew that he was a forgiving God. He knew that he was a just God. The psalmist may not have known that it was exactly the plan to bring his son to die for our sins, but he knew God would provide a way. And he did. We have, we have the gift of knowing that Jesus Christ died and washed us clean, that when we accept him and have faith in our Lord and Savior, that even though we are sinners, even though we are still here and not with Him until that day when we will be reunited, we have been filled with His Spirit. He consistently and will continually forgive us as long as we continue to turn to Him, put our faith in Jesus Christ, accept Him as our Lord and Savior, as our Master. That's what the psalmist is talking about. When he's talking about... um, Yahweh, this power, the the authority that he has, and Adonai translating as master and Lord, he is pleading to the Lord and master of our lives. Consistently, the psalmist humbles himself and places himself under the Lord. The waiting is not passive here. As he says, I wait for the Lord. This is not him sitting on a chair, twiddling his thumbs. Hanging out until until the Lord arrives or until uh, a prayer is answered. The second line in that is what? In what does the psalmist hope? In the word. 
in God's holy word. Wash yourself in the word. God has revealed his promises to us in his word. That's where we should be looking daily. We should be looking to see what God's promises are in the, in the word that he has provided to us so that we may know him more. When we wait for the Lord, this is not something that I just got to wait till God audibly tells me something. Till he just, he'll put it on my heart and he'll strike me so strong, I can wait for that. God's calling out to us. I've given you the answers. I've given you my promises. We may not know the timing. We may not have the understanding. But this is where we're going to find it. It's not going to be somewhere else. It's not going to be in a self-help book. It's not going to be in our own way. That's trying to dig ourselves out of the, out of the depths of the pit. We need to rely on him. His word is where the psalmist goes. It is in his word that he hopes. We see again the psalmist alternating between those, the names of God. Um, in the repeat of my soul waits for the Lord, the psalmist uses Adonai, Master and Lord. There's a continued element here of humbling ourselves, showing reverence to the Lord as we trust his timing and acknowledge his authority. I know I said before, as this is a poem throughout, these first six verses are the uh, reflection, I'll say, of the psalmist. The psalmist is reflecting on how God has worked in his life, how he's come from the depths. So verses 1 through 6, that ramp up of going from the depths to that redemption, it almost peaks at verse 4 as there is forgiveness in God. And then after that, now my my time is to wait. I have received God's forgiveness. I am waiting on Him. I am in His Word. My soul waits. Does anybody know what do you think of when you hear the word watchman? What does that bring to us? A guard? Hmm? A sentry? Sentinel? A lot of military terms. Protector? Attentive? The watchman, as, as, as far as I can tell in the text here, could be a, a military guard. could be something watching the city at night. Night was a very dangerous time. You could have someone sneaking up on the city. I mean, those are things. It could be a military. Most likely, it sounds like the commentators agree that it, this was a, a role that was played for watching for the morning, watching for the dawn. Like I said, it could be military or it could be just also the the way that the time was set, we didn't, now again, we have our clocks and we have our, our watches at midnight hits and it's the next day. Their uh, passage of time was with the setting and the rising of the sun. And what I love is I love the uh, view and the, the word picture that uh, one of the commentators I read uh, put it, we see a watchman in the darkness of the early morning Scanning their horizon for the first sign of dawn. I love this part. The watchman doesn't doubt that morning will come. When he's sitting there, he's not doubting that the sun's going to rise. But he only wonders when and watches for it diligently. He is watching for that first glimmer, that first sign that the, that the sun is rising. This is the word picture that the psalmist uses for us to be waiting for the Lord. In fact, he says more than watchmen in the morning. Not only does it say it once, but he says it twice. We are supposed to be waiting, watching for the Lord, anticipating him, not 
fearing that it's going to happen, knowing that's going to happen, having that confidence, may not know when. But we are called, as the psalmist puts here, that we are to be placing our hope in Him and waiting for the Lord as watchmen, waiting for that first glimmer, waiting for the, wor- the, the Lord to work, seeing how He is going to speak to us, how He's going to call us. We see the word hope in that previous phrase. And I want to be very clear that hope is not an uncertain wish. I go back to this, this sense of the watchman. There's no doubt that the sun is going to rise. When you're hoping in the Lord, this is not a hope that is um, a, a wish or a guess. This is a confidence. I'm hoping in the Lord. I know that it is true because he's told us in his word. It is not a passive statement. Verses 7 and 8, the psalmist changes his tone a little bit. So far, he's been pleading to the Lord. His focus has been speaking to the Lord. Verses 7 and 8, the psalmist now turns his attention to Israel. O Israel, hope in Yahweh. For with Adonai there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. He's just spent the first six verses telling us how how out of the depths he was pulled by the mercy of the Lord. How there is forgiveness. Not that there might be forgiveness, but that there is forgiveness. And that after receiving that forgiveness, our our, our call is to wait on the Lord. And to wait anticipating his arrival. And he pleads to Israel, Israel. Hope in the Lord. That is a plea to us as well. As a call to us, we are to hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love. And with Him is plentiful redemption. These are, again, terms. This is not a a guess. These are confident statements. With the Lord, there is steadfast love. We can hope in Him because He has told us that He is steadfast. With Him, there is plentiful redemption. He is sufficient for our sins. There is nothing we can do that will be outside of His ability to lift us and redeem us. He is sufficient for all our sins, from all our iniquities. We are called to hope in the Lord, not in the mercy or redemption, but again, it's God. Cease looking for the water, look for the well. You will more readily see the Savior than see salvation, for he is lifted up, for even he who is God, and beside him there is no one else. Sometimes we we put our hope in the wrong things. We put our hope in actions. We put our hope in events. We put our hope in, in something substantial happening. And, and where the psalmist clearly puts his hope in is his hope is in the Lord. I can't tell you for sure exactly what that looks like. I wish I could. I can tell you that it's in here. And I don't know it all. And I'm continuing to learn more. But as we hope in the Lord, we can trust on His promises. We can we cannot doubt that He will fulfill His promises. The case was argued uh, in verse 6. Uh, now hope in the Lord. I use, so I use repetition as I, as I go through this because the psalmist uses repetition throughout this whole, this whole psalm. I want to turn our 
focus back to what I, how we started, that this is a psalm of ascents, okay? So as this, is, this song is being sung, if you can picture this song being sung as they are walking towards Jerusalem, Think of the pilgrims to Jerusalem singing the song of a sense as they walk, possibly coming to the final stanza and then singing this to one another, encouraging one another. Oh, Israel, may we hope in the Lord. I think this is a picture of what we are to do as the church as we are continuing to march towards God's direction, as we are continuing to follow Him. How are we supporting and encouraging one another? How are we crying out to one another Encouraging one another to hope in the Lord. To assure one another that He is steadfast in His love. When a brother or sister is going through hard times in their lives, are we just saying, oh, God, take care of that. I I don't need to be involved. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. For the psalmist is here, we can encourage one another, cry out to one another, ensure them, speak truth to them in the Word. Let them know that God's love is steadfast. That He is sufficient to redeem. A couple applications from this morning. Evaluate your attitude. Are we willing to cry out to God? Going back to the beginning. Are we willing to humble ourselves before God? To cry out in deep need. Plead for His mercy. It's a question only you can answer for yourself. Evaluate your attitude. Are you willing to cry out to God? Next, evaluate your heart. How are you showing reverence to God? I know for me, I've grown up in the church. And there are times where it becomes just a daily task. And I don't think about it as much as maybe I should dwell and meditate on it. And then I remind myself and I, I ask for forgiveness. But where's my heart? Am I willing or is my heart ready? And am I showing reverence to God? I am a sinner. I am a sinner just as everyone else is a sinner. And I am no better because I have been in the church for a long time. I'm no better because I'm the worship director. I'm no better because I'm an elder. I am a sinner. I need his mercy. Is my heart there? Evaluate your heart. We're showing God that reverence. We're fearing God. Being grateful for His forgiveness. Evaluate our weekly routine. How are we being watchmen and waiting for the Lord? Throughout our weekly routine, what are we doing to seek and be attentive and ready to see the Lord work? Are we only coming on Sunday mornings and God will speak to me when I hear the word, when I hear the passage that the elder or the pastor, whoever it is, going to preach that morning? Are we in his word through the week? How are we being more than watchmen for the morning? How are we seeking what God will do? The final application is evaluate where your hope is placed. Are we hoping in a paycheck? Are we hoping in a job? Are we hoping on things in this world? Are we hoping for our own strength to pull us out of things? Well, this is a small small problem. God doesn't need to be bothered by this. I'll handle this one. It'll be fine. Or is our hope in the Lord for all things? 
Are we hoping in him? Evaluate where our hope is placed. Psalm 130 is a gospel message in the Old Testament as he goes from our need for a Savior, our need for salvation, need for mercy, proclaims that God is a forgiving God, that he will redeem us to himself, and that he calls us to wait for the Lord, to call out on him. I, I first... Well, I don't remember the first time I heard this, this psalm. I most likely probably heard it when I was young. I probably have read it multiple times. Um, but honestly, I will say the first time it struck me was when I heard the song that we sang. Um, the sixth song uh, that we sang by Shane and Shane, the song struck me as as a psalm that we are crying out to God. I, I titled the sermon this morning, I don't even know if I have a title written here. Hope in the Steadfast Redeemer. Um, so many of the commentaries focused on that waiting part of the, of the psalm, and that's a very strong part of it. But for me, when I heard the song, when I read the psalm, when I prepared for this morning, I kept coming back to the hope being the focus. What are we waiting for? We're waiting in hope for Him. So this morning, as we go out, I pray that we have hope in our Lord and, and Savior, that we have hope in the steadfast Redeemer, that He is sufficient to save us from anything that we are, uh, that we are in. That's the joy. That is the message of this morning. That is the message that the psalmist proclaims to Israel. I've laid out for you in these first six verses what the process is, how we are in need of, of a Savior and how he is gracious to forgive. O Israel, turn to him. O village, turn to our Lord and Savior. Hope in him. That is the message of Psalm 130 to me. That's what I have seen. Let me close us in prayer. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful. Lord, that you are sufficient for our sins. Lord, I thank you that you are a just God. I thank you that you are a forgiving God. That you gave your son to die on a cross to pay our sins so that your justice would be satisfied, that we would be redeemed to you because you love us. Lord, I pray that in that we would fear you, revere you, that we would place our hope in you alone. your name we pray. Amen.